Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. So you've heard lots in the last couple days, last few days, about the David Johnson decision about no public inquiry into what's going on with China and Canada. Oh, that's fine. I mean, look, we've a lot of ground has been covered in that. So you you now know and you have your opinion and you believe what you believe. And that's okay. I mean, you're, you're, I say it a million times a year. You're entitled to your opinion. Whether you agree with mine or disagree with mine, you're entitled to your opinion. There is one part of this story, though, that becomes weird. Whether you agree, as I say, with not having a public inquiry, there is one part of this that becomes really weird. And that is when you start listening to who's involved. So there was lots of criticism in lots of corners when Justin Trudeau nominated David Johnson as the special rapporteur, largely because there are interviews from the past where David Johnson talks at length about his close family friendship with the Trudeau family. Now, in the last few days, he has played that down, but there are interviews where he goes on and on and on about how close they are. So you've got David Johnson, who is a close family friend of the Trudeau's and was, I believe, involved with the Trudeau Foundation. He, Johnson said this week when explaining what was going on, that he sought an independent, independent legal opinion from retired Supreme Court of Canada Justice Frank Iacobucci. Well, Iacobucci is not just a friend of Johnson's. If you go on to the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation page, Frank Iacobucci is a mentor. He is involved with the Trudeau Foundation. So then... We're talking to, I was filling in for Scott Thompson yesterday, we're talking to uh, Duff Conacher of uh, Democracy Watch, and on the show he points out that, well, he also, uh, Johnson also got advice from a lawyer, Sheila Block, who, as Duff pointed out on our show, had donated to the Liberal Party in in two of the last elections, 2006 and 2022. What I don't understand, let me bring in, Stephen LeDrew, former president of the Liberal Party of Canada, now a terrific political analyst. Stephen, what I don't understand is this. We have almost 40 million people in this country. How come every single person who seems to touch anything that happens with a scandal with our prime minister somehow has a connection, it seems, to the Trudeau Foundation or a family friend or something like that? We, We can't find any of the 40 million without a connection? Well, there's um, many, many, many skilled and talented people who could have done that job. But what we're dealing with is a we're dealing with a, a, a mess in Ottawa. It should be cleaned out. It should be cleaned out quite some time ago. Everybody has a connection to anybody else in power. That's incestuous. And it's a terrible situation. And now we're seeing, we are witnessing the destruction of David Johnston heretofore a man of impeccable credentials and a great reputation. And, and now, in the, you know, the later part of his life, he's finished. He, uh, he can't rest on his laurels because his laurels have been diminished by his connection with the prime minister. The prime minister does this to many, many people he has contact with. If he wants to try to save his skin, he doesn't care who he's going to bring down with him. He did that to Scott Andrews, who was a former liberal MP, a, a man of incredible impeccable um, reputation, finished. Trudeau does this. He doesn't give a darn about Johnson. He thought that Johnson had the great credibility uh, to carry this through, to save his skin on this. 
And he, I think, miscalculated tremendously. And now, I should point out, Scott, Johnson is last year saying what a close friend he was to Trudeau for his whole life. And now, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a shameful situation. This man is now walking backwards saying, well, I didn't really know him that much. Baloney. Yeah, I, I I must say, Stephen, and I don't mean to get like too too deep here, but it it kind of sounds like the story of uh, of Peter in the Bible and the you know and the story of the crucifixion of denying three times. I mean, it's 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 almost like, oh, really, really, I don't know the person. I, I we barely knew each other. But again, go watch the videos. Go watch the videos, the interviews. And uh, several years yeah. ago, he was gushing over their relationship together. But let, let me leave David Johnson for a second, because he's only part of this. Right. I, I still don't understand how in, in all of these situations, or many of these situations, we keep coming back when someone does even just a tiny bit of research to always having a connection. We had the... Um, and whether it's to Trudeau or to someone in his government, we had the... Uh, the, 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 well, who, the um, Oh, the the person who was the sister of the minister who was going to be the uh, um, the the interim the conflict of interest, conflict of yeah, interest yeah. person. Like it just it, there's always at, at some point, surely someone in government says maybe we can find someone who really is independent, just so we don't have to constantly be answering these questions. That that will not happen with this government, with the Justin party in power. The only way that's going to happen is that if Canadians finally say, enough is enough, and we vote these guys out. And, um, you know, whether, whether you're NDP or Liberal, you've got to get rid of these people. Um, and, and some people say, well, we don't like Pollyanne. We need somebody in there who has principles. And we're seeing the evidence now that these people have no principles. They will do anything, sacrifice anybody, do anything to stay in power. And it's a it's a shameful situation. You know, it is like a banana republic. You know, we are like some, well, maybe I'm insulting Caribbean islands, but some small little island where it's run by a small clique of people. And this happens throughout history. And there's either a revolution or we get rid of them. But do you not so think... I have something interesting to Go say ahead, go ahead. I, I stopped. <laughs> I stopped when your producer called and got off the highway because I didn't want to be driving, and I pulled over into a farmer's lane, <laughs> and guess what just happened? What? The farmer has come home. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you got to move. You well, gotta... I, I, am, I am moving. I'm just explaining what I'm doing there because I don't think he's too happy with somebody doing a radio show in this kind of thing. Um, now I'm fine. I'm, I'm All right. Well, just we, we only have a, a couple seconds left here, but I, is, is there nobody, do you not believe, because uh, look, I, I don't believe, I do not believe that everybody who is in government is comfortable with this. I believe there have to be those who are very uncomfortable with the fact that this keeps happening. Is there nobody who would say anything? Um, from my understanding, no, no longer. Because it is a, a career-ending situation. And Trudeau has had many of those. I mean, look at SNC-Lavalin, where he said everything was appropriate. Any lawyer knew that everything was not appropriate. But his lawyers, the PMO, his Montreal lawyers, are telling him everything is fine. We're going to get rid of this. He sacrificed two prominent female cabinet ministers to try and prove his point, 
and he lied to the press, and he still got reelected after that. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. So he, they can get through all this. Um, they brook no dissension. Uh, the party, which used to be a bit of a of a of a uh, sober second thought, is nothing but a Trudeau cult club right now. Uh, I've heard that from many people who used to be prominent in the party, aside from myself. And so it's a very bad situation of uh, terrible politics, terrible governance, and uh, it's not going to cure itself. The people of Canada have to uh, cure it. And in the meantime, we have to put up with this embarrassment, and it's a, it's a terrible situation. This is actually eclipsing the whole situation of China funding their book candidates, doesn't it? No one's talking about that anymore. Well, maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point. Maybe maybe ultimately it's uh, it, it redirects the attention and that, that works. And maybe we're helping with that. Uh, who knows? Stephen LeDrew, I will let you uh, vacate the farmer's field so they can get on with their crop dusting and whatever they're going to do. <laughs> uh, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this today. My pleasure. Good chatting. See you later. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let us go across town to the greater Waterdown area where we connect with one Bubba O'Neill from CHCH News just got off the off the TV from doing the sports. Bubba, how are you tonight? You know, it's I'm, I'm great, Scott, but every time someone says exactly what you said, it's still hard for me to get used to, right? Like, you spend a good amount of time, and I'm just a small percentage of the many people that work down on Jackson Street. And, and when you say water down, I have to think a couple times. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Have you driven by the old place to see the destruction going on? Well, one of our longtime cameramen, probably, I would say, well over 30, 35 years, I guess, Dwayne Worth, has been driving, lives sort of in the air, and has been taking pictures for the last two weeks. And I'll tell you, it's, um, like, don't don't fool yourself. Like, this place is gold. It's amazing. It's new. It smells new. It's wonderful. Great new equipment. But there, that nostalgic feeling yeah. of yeah. Looking, that, looking at that picture you know, every couple of days that he sends pictures out to, to the, you know, all of CHC agencies, less and less of it standing, it, 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 it does bring back some feelings. Of course it does. Well, I mean, look, it's not the same, but if you've ever driven by your childhood home, the first house that I lived in uh, is now gone, replaced by another house that's way bigger and everything else in downtown Toronto, but... It's weird when you go by and it's not there anymore. It is. And um, and I bet you everybody listening has some place like that that has changed over the years. Or or even that hasn't, but suddenly seems so much smaller when you go by. Sure. I mean, and I mean anyone that's lived in that area or is familiar with THCH and been there, when that building was brand new, like that was like... Like it looked like a spaceship. It did. Well, it still did. It still you know, it, it still did. Even up till the day it was started to get taken down, it looked like a spaceship. This big, massive building and satellite towers everywhere. What a place that was. I mean, and again, our you know TV has changed, media has changed, and you know we're talking. I know we've talked to a couple of the long timers. At one time, it had about two hundred people working in that building at the same time, and I don't even think there's. Thirty-five. Mm. All right. Let us <laughs> let us get on to. Uh, got a couple things I want to ask you about. One of them. Um, well, let's start with the basketball first because I love this story, only because 
it seems like it's so long in the making. There is talk that the NBA is going to endeavor to somehow figure out how to get rid of flopping next year. That they're going to crack down on guys who flop if they are touched. I mean, it's basically like hockey in the NHL with diving. I love the idea. I just have no idea how you're possibly going to do this unless you're going to bring in five times more video review because I bet there's a guy flopping on every third play. You know, I'm always concerned with this one. Uh, look, flopping to me is part of sports. There was always going to be uh, a player that's going to try and get away with a high stick or, you know, uh, in, in football, in soccer, there's going to be someone that's like, you know, you set the mic through and you tackle me hard and basketball, you know, it's a block charge. And this is what makes it really hard in basketball compared to the other sports in defining the flop. <clears throat> when a player is going into the basket and standing his ground and defending, that block charge, in the opinion of, of, of officials I've spoken to, is one of the hardest calls to make. Yep. Right? Yep. And, and so it becomes really, really hard. You know, it was the player defensively. did have both feet down. What you when know, it was he defensively set? Is the you know the player intentionally charged out of it? It's so hard. And but at the end of the day, here's my, here's my final thought on this. Like, what can you really do? Like a five thousand dollar fine for a guy that's making thirteen million dollars a year? Like. Well, I, I tell you what you could do, and, and what I think they should do. It, you're absolutely right that it's really hard when there is some kind of contact to know, you know, was the guy off balance? Did he lose his balance legitimately? I mean, there are, though, some, and we see this in hockey, too. There are some where when you watch it, it's so obviously acting. And on those ones, I would say you give the person a, a technical foul and one of those technicals where you get booted out of that game. And not and I'm talking about the egregious ones, Bubba, where there's not even contact and the guy decides to make a big dive. Where it's absolutely clear where there's not even any suggestion that it's not fake. You say, boom, you're out of the game. And you want to know something? It'll happen about three times and then the other guys in the league will go, yeah, that's not worth it. But here's the thing, Scott, and you tell me, at least in my experience, and, and I watch a lot of basketball, those most egregious flops and dives generally happen after the play has gone on. You see it because the, the gift of television, right? The play goes on, and we're rolling, <laughs> and we're rolling. Like, look at this play, right? It always happens after. So I just, to make that call live, Oh no, you couldn't. You couldn't. You couldn't do it live. You couldn't do it live. It would have to it would have to be a call down from the booth that that the person had done this. And I mean, look, I've argued Bubba, I've argued this with soccer forever. And I know the soccer purists will say, Oh, it's you know, it's part especially in certain countries where, oh, this is just part of the drama of the game. Well, I, that drives me nuts when they say that. If you had an upstairs official who sees someone take an absolute flop where, I mean, you've probably, everyone's probably listening has seen the replay. It's one of the favorite soccer highlights that pops up every now and then where a guy gets touched in the tummy and grabs his face and goes to the ground like he was JFK with Lee Harvey Oswald in the Texas school book depository. I'm talking about something like that where you get someone in the booth who says, yeah, number 15, clear dive, get him off the field, red card. It would stop Instantly, instantly, you would get rid of it. They don't want to, apparently. 
sure, I think you could do that in soccer, but if we're talking basketball here, you can't kick a guy out for, for flopping. You just can't. Wouldn't right? it, wouldn't and, it and, stop it quickly if it was egregious, if it was no contact and but, the guy goes but, down? But think about think about everything you're saying there, right? Are we gonna we're already talking about the, the buzzword in sports right now, pace of play. Yes. So, yes. Uh, so is the guy in the booth in New York City or New York for in New Jersey? Um, we're gonna the game. The is game's gonna go on, and all of a sudden he's gonna, you know, our official's gonna get a buzz, or light's gonna go off, and we're gonna stop the play in the middle of the play. Everyone's gonna look around and go, what, 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 what? And we're gonna stop the play for that to to give a technical foul to a player that do- that dove, uh, you know, basically sixty seconds ago. Well, no, like, I think it would have to be. I think it would have to be someone in the booth who calls it, who's watching, and but, basically but, has a but chance. That person, but that person would have to wa- at least see a couple of replays. Yep. Right? Yep. But he so could buzz that, down. That's time. But he, he could buzz down because more often than not, all not every time, but more often than not, you're seeing a flop on a play near a basket, which is going to lead to a free throw. So the game has already stopped. Not always, but more often than not. Mm-hmm. And so you have enough time to very quickly before the free throw, the second free throw is taken. Look at two or three replays. Even even if you put something in place that said, "Look, if we see what we determine to be a flop, it's a it's a technical, a one shot technical. If we see something that is so over the top where there wasn't even contact, where it's unsportsmanlike, you get the the other technical where you get kicked out of the game. I, I'd be okay with them trying that one, and I think it would I think it would go away very quickly. I do. I think guys would stop. I, I don't think it'll ever stop. I, I really don't. I, I think it, I think it's here forever. I think, yeah, I mean, no one is out there to embarrass the referees or anything like that, but everyone is looking for an advantage. Everyone, well, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, right? Well, there's a great saying from that, but I don't know if that came from that, but everyone's looking for a slight advantage or looking to, to, to try and induce a foul or a penalty. And, and again, um, the interpretation or the interpretation by an official can become so subjective that we could get into some real wacky discussion every single time uh, I'd say a technical foul would be called. All right, let me change tack here for a little bit because um, on Thursday, as in today, Canada uh, qualified. They won their way into the semifinal in the World Hockey Championship. And I honestly can't think of a sporting event that I could care less about than the World Hockey Championship. It is, I don't even know why we go. I can't think that there, I mean, other than the players getting to go to Europe and take their spouse, I can't, there is nobody, is there, that really cares about this tournament? Nobody. All the best players are still playing in the playoffs. Nobody cares about this. Well, Nobody might be a little broad. Nobody right? in North America cares about this. Maybe, and there you go. That I think that could be the, you know, the, um, and I think that's why this tournament is never held in Canada, right? Because you're lo- you're looking at teams that are you know European based mostly from the players, and even the Canadian team, most of them are are, are um, European pros, right? Are playing somewhere in Europe. Um, and then you get a good, a couple of decent players that are eliminated in the first, sorry, did not make the first round, did not make the playoffs, or have been eliminated in the first round for those who choose to go over and represent their country. And I'll tell you, I, I, I got a lot of respect for those guys because those are the guys that are not the, 
um, they're not the Austin Matthews for you know the United States. They're not the, like the high-priced big players, you know, using Maple Leafs, Mitch Marner, uh, the Tavares. These are guys that are more than proud to wear the Maple Leaf, and and it means so much to these guys. Um, Canada is lost. It hasn't I didn't want a gold medal at this event in some time, and we're off to the semifinals. So I got a lot of respect for these guys who. You know, who aren't the high-priced guys who are more than proud to put on the maple leaf on their chest, and I would, I think you could make an argument, and I'm not saying this demonstrably about our, our any of our Olympic teams. These guys may care, maybe just a, a wee bit more than some of those other guys. So I got some respect for them. I I, I don't disrespect the guys who go. I applaud them uh, for signing up. I just look at this and I think, what's the point? If you're playing, it's it's almost like the um, oh, what's the what's the uh, the Spengler Cup? That I, again, it's like really does like does anybody back home? I, I hate to say it because the guys are over there trying, but I mean, has there ever been someone driving the streets in Canada somewhere honking their horn and waving the Canadian flag because we did well at the Spengler Cup? I know, but uh, should we be all about just the superstars? Like, is that what is that what we've come to? That if, if our star players aren't there, we don't care. Like, I, I, again, that's why I respect these guys, because they know, full going, like, these are the guys that represented our country for so many years before the IOC allowed um, professional or, you know, NHL players to, to wear Team Canada. And I'm not begrudging them of that. I, I, I think it, you know, it, does it add excitement? Does it add extra interest? Of course it does. But I'm not going to denounce the guys, or I'm denounce, but I'm not going to not respect those guys. I actually enjoy watching some of those games because I think it's I think it's fun to watch Canada on enemy ground. Here we are. I don't know if you watched today's game, which we won what four one against Finland against the host. I mean, who've won what three years in a row? I think. Uh, and you know, you got a wild Finnish crowd right there that they're you know they're cheering against Canada, and you're in all that hostile environment. Uh, and, and you're kind of a Canadian nobody. I I I, I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I, to, to your and, question, and I and I and I say that full knowing that most of the nation don't care. Right? I know that. I understand that. I I, I get that. Yeah, but, I just and it's a, it's a puzzle to me in a sense. I mean, you're right. There, there's there's not the stars, but there have been at times. The stars have gone. Connor McDavid has played over there in that sure, tournament. There have sure, been stars, sure. and we still. For some reason, don't care. And I think, again, it's because, first of all, because our attention is taken away by the Stanley Cup playoffs, but B, because we all know this is not really our best. This is not really Team Canada. This is Team Canada available. And that's a that's a different thing. And maybe, maybe it is that we've become spoiled and we, you know, if we're not going to get our that's absolute exactly best, then we don't care. Spoiled. It's completely spoiled. And, and, I mean, I look, Bobby. If we had the if we had the World Basketball Championships or the Olympics, and Team USA didn't send NBA players, but sent a bunch of guy from the bunch of guys from the D League, they, it would be the same response. It's like uh, well, I couldn't care. Well, less. we've seen that. We've seen that already. Where team, team USA, right? Because as as after the first two Dream Teams, a lot of the best pros said no. Right, so you got kind of a B a B team showing up there, and then a couple of times we lost. They lost. Sorry. Yeah, but they even then 
they were mostly college players and people, the, the college guys were still familiar because they were still playing and people had watched March Madness or whatever, the, the D League, the G League. It's, it's guys that had played in college, but they've been out of the spotlight for a while now, so they're kind of almost forgotten guys. That it's but, but Here's the thing, Scott, and then this is the difference, and I'm going to be critical of our, of our country here, and I can't help it because I've maintained this. There was interest, and there was a lot of disappointment because those American teams lost, and there was an outcry that, that you know, I can't believe you know, basketball is our sport. But you know what? When in the United States, when, for the most part, for the most part, when you put on those stars and stripes, people care, right? Here we've got that caveat. Oh, that's not our best hockey team. So we, so yeah, who cares about this? That, we, you know, how do we send you know Crosby and 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 yeah, we clean up. But but in the United States, when people put on that stars and stripes, and I think I wish sometimes you know we they get called braggadocious and you know over the top a little bit. Sometimes I wish we had a little bit of that edge. And a little bit of that sort of pride that once you put on the maple leaf that you're cheering for, for, for that, whether it be women's volleyball, ping pong, or hockey. Uh, you know what? Only there are very few people that can pull off braggadocious. Bubba can pull off the word braggadocious and make it work. <laughs> uh, just before I go, I got to ask you because the uh, the Florida Panthers, as we all know, are now in the Stanley Cup Finals, and one of the things that Florida has done in this playoffs, and I don't think anyone would dispute this. Uh, they are often within the rules, sometimes outside the rules, a violent team. They hit hard and they hit often. And I know, I, at least I expect that whoever the new general manager of the Leafs is, is going to say, we got to get more of that. We got to have more guys like Sam Bennett and Kachuk and those guys who really throw these thunderous hits. Is it me or is it, I just have this expectation that after the refs decide, and the refs have decided that, you know what, we're going to let a lot more go in the playoffs. They do. I just get this feeling, Murphy's Law maybe, that when the Leafs finally decide to build a team that will play like that, it will correspond with the year the NHL decides we are instructing our refs to call the playoffs exactly the same way as the regular season, and it'll blow up in their face. Listen to you speaking like a real Maple Leaf fan. No, it's like, it's, it's but, but, but isn't that what isn't that what Kyle Dubas built this year? Well, like, the, like Luke Shen could take someone's head off. Yeah, Jake McCain could, but none of them did it. None of them yeah. did it. I mean, Luke Shen, I think, had one huge hit in the playoffs as long as they lasted for the Leafs. Well, I thought Jake McCabe. There was a couple of games. There Jake, Jake McCabe, McCabe did was, run, was running was running around doing yeah. everything, but it then it defensively cost him because he got caught a number of times. Trying to line up. No, I. You're, yes, you're right. I just. I. I. I really believe that there is going to be a, a philosophical change with the new person because they're being brought in to change it. They they're not bringing in a guy to be Kyle Dubas again. They got rid of Kyle Dubas, and that's going to be. Let's get this team grittier, top to bottom. The 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 defense had a few grittier guys, and they made the third and fourth lines grittier, but the top two lines were no different than they'd ever really been before. And well, I just... There's scoring lines. Well, that's right. But, you you know, there's nobody on there even that you're... I mean, especially when uh, when Nyes got hurt, there's really nobody that's going to do anything. I, I'm, this is my bet. I, I bet they're going to try and make some moves to do that, and it will come... And all of a sudden, you'll see next year in the playoffs, the Leafs will be the most penalized team in the playoffs because that'll be the, the style, and that'll be called. It's just... It, it just seems to be... 
it would fit perfectly with the Leafs ethos that you waited 56 years. You finally say, oh, we finally figured out what it is. And then they change it and you're stuck with a new setup that doesn't work for you. Anyway, I just, uh, I throw so that let's, out there. Let, let's just see, let's just see if that team gets ever built like that. First of all, before we even That's, venture yeah. down that road. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, but it would. I, I, you and I both know, Bubba, you and I are roughly the same age, roughly the age of not being alive to see the Leafs ever appear in a Stanley Cup final, let alone win. I am growing more and more convinced that my headstone will have a little word at the bottom of it that says, oh, by the way, never was alive to see the Leafs even play in the finals. That, that, that's, the, that's the reality. That's, you know, that's what it is, but that's okay. That's okay. We got other things going on in our life. Look, look quick question. I know it's your show, but I have to throw you a quick question. Yeah, absolutely. I know, you're, I know you're a big baseball guy. Okay. Um, is, is, is it, we're talking Blue Jays here. Yep. Is, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it still early? <laughs> like, or should we, or we should baseball fans in this, in this area be concerned, in this country actually be concerned? Uh, they should be very concerned. And, uh, it's not just, it's not just because the Jays aren't doing all that well, because they're, they're not doing all that well right now. They're only one game over 500. This was a team that's supposed to be a world series contender. It's they're now 10 and a half games out of first place in the AL East. And I know that people say that the AL East is the toughest division in baseball, which it is. But there's only so many wild card spots you can't get in if you finish last in your division, no matter how bad a division or how tough a division it is. Mm-hmm. And you're 10 and a half. You're not catching Tampa now. You're not winning this division. Too late. You might not be able to catch Baltimore now. You're, Yankees, are the hottest, the Yankees are the hottest team in baseball right now. Yeah, so the Yankees are move, and you're the coldest, or one of them. So you, they're moving away from you. So no, it's not early. You've got starting pitching that's a huge problem. You know, one of the we got it. We're overtime, but I'm going to go with this for another minute. Here's one of the things that I wondered about at the start of the year, and I still don't know if um, I still don't know if it's an issue. But I'm going to tell you, it's something I wondered about at the beginning of the year when they put the pitch clock in so that cardio was going to be more of an issue. It's still not running in the marathon, but cardio, you're going to have to be able to, you know, keep going, especially when it gets warm out. We're not even in the warm months. And Alec Manoa, who's a big guy and carries extra weight, is having a really bad year. I wonder about him in the pitch clock. Because he was great last year, and now he is terrible. And I just wonder if this is a guy that would that has whiffed this year by coming in carrying too much weight, and if he's a guy that if he dropped 20 pounds might be back to the old Alec Manoa. Yeah, he, he looked like he looks lost. Yes, yes. It's like you know, I, he was always a guy never short on confidence. He does not look like a guy that. I know he's trying. No, no, I would sure, never of course say, he is. No, the effort's not there. But boy, there's there's nothing there. And there's clearly velocity, a loss of velocity in my opinion. I guess pitches don't even come out the same. No, I, and again, really? I, th- it may have nothing to do with that. I just think that when you are now, you don't have time to take time between the pitches and recover. And if if you're not in as great shape as you could be, I just wonder, and we're going to see, and you know when we're going to really see who 
this is affecting, I think, is, you know, about a month from now when we, or maybe even less when we start to get into the heat of summer. And then let's see what the pitch clock does to guys. Yeah, well, we'll this see. team is under a lot of pressure, in my opinion, right now. Yep. There was a lot of talk about this team, acquisitions made, general manager putting his like his life on the line, I, I, and this team, this was a team that has to make, they have to make the playoffs, or big changes are going to be made. Uh, I mean, you know how much I love the front office of this team. Um <laughs> Atkins and Shapiro, I'm telling you, like I'm not being, they, they talk a great game and every year they talk about how this is the year. Uh, I, I'm serious. If they, it, we got to run, but if they only get up to fourth in that division, if they don't make the playoffs after all this, I mean, what you're left with is that Shapiro and Atkins are great at refinishing a stadium, but they didn't do anything in Cleveland and they haven't done anything here. And then now you put those all together, and they've had a lot of time. Uh, you know what? Maybe uh, maybe Dubas can do, do some baseballing. <laughs> He's available. Anyway, got to run. Got to run. Always appreciate it, man. Thank you. That's Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. You can catch him tonight after the news, during the news, whenever. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.